So, 1 Thessalonians 5. Go there in your Bibles, on your apps, whatever you got. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to be wrapping up this series this morning. I'm going to put a bow on it. If you are new, this is a great Sunday for you to be here. If you're not a Christian, you're just kind of exploring the faith, this is also a perfect Sunday for you to be here because I feel like this passage really kind of encapsulates the heart of what it means to follow Jesus in the last kind of 12 verses of this little letter. Now, I can remember back when I was growing up, the first few times, uh, I left my parents for an extended amount of time, so not just like a, a night or two, but for like a week. So I'm thinking teenage years, uh, youth camps for me, a junior trip to Washington, D.C. with my high school, senior trip, we went on a, a ski trip to Vermont. So the, kind of those first times where I was gone from my parents for an extended amount of time. And I remember my dad was always just kind of like, uh, bye, you know, ha, you know don't, don't die, uh, don't get arrested. Just kind of very simple for him. But I can, I can dis- d- distinctly remember my, my sweet mom, God bless her, she had like a laundry list of to-dos and not-dos. So I'm trying to get out the door. I got my backpack on, trying to get in my car, and it's like a 15-minute rundown. You know, like, hey, make sure you listen to your leaders and eat healthy meals, make good choices. Don't hang out with Joe Smith. He's going to get you arrested. Pack your toothbrush. Make sure you take your vitamins. Don't stay up too late. Just like this laundry list of things. And as a teen, you're like, oh, God, mom, okay, I get it. Just let, just let me go. And then you grow up, and you get married, and you have kids, and you become your parents, right? And that's, so that's the stage that I'm in right now. I'm doing the stuff that I used to make fun of my parents for doing. That's just kind of how it works in life. Well, this is, this is kind of what we see the Apostle Paul doing here, right? In this letter to these brand new baby Christians, he hits them with this just torrent of super practical commands as he closes this letter that he thinks is going to make their life so much better as followers of Jesus in a hostile world. Like really good stuff that we're going to dig into this morning. Really practical stuff, beautiful stuff. And you have to remember that the Apostle Paul was under constant threat of persecution constant threat of imprisonment, beatings, even his own execution. So I'm thinking, as he's wrapping up this letter to the Thessalonians, he's probably in his own mind thinking, this may be the last time I get to communicate with these brothers and sisters that I love so dearly. Like, this may be the last words that they hear from me. And so what we're going to see the Apostle Paul do this morning is he's going to give them just kind of a a few to-do commands, a couple of don't-do commands, and then one beautiful promise that kind of undergirds all of it. So a few to-dos, a couple of don't-dos, one beautiful plan that kind of, a promise that kind of undergirds the whole thing. So that'll be kind of the game plan this morning. But before we dive in, let's pause for a moment. Just ask God to help us as we uh, dive into his word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and we are grateful for another day of life. We're grateful for your word that teaches us, instructs us, guides us, We don't have to wonder what your will is for our life, that you have clearly communicated that to us because you love us as your sons and your daughters. And so, Father, I pray now by the power of your spirit that you would illuminate these ancient words written almost 2,000 years ago, that you would activate them in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls in such a way that would change us, that we'd walk out of here different men and women than when we walked in. And we ask it, we pray it all in the name and for the glory of King Jesus. Amen. All right, we're starting in verse 16 of chapter 5. And again, uh, as I told you, kind of picture back to my mom as I was leaving, just kind of this, this list of to-dos, and this, that's what we're going to get from the Apostle Paul. So here we go. 16, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus 
for you. So, so three things that Paul says that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt are God's will for your life. Now, oftentimes you hear a lot of people uh, talking about, man, trying to figure out God's will for different, like, big life decisions, like who to marry, right? That's one that pastors get a lot. Like, man, who, do I marry Jim or do I marry Tom? You know, they're, they're both cute and they both love the Lord. Who should, who should I marry? Or when to start a family? People have been married for a little while. They're like, man, when do we have kids? Or what college to go to? That's a big one for like high school juniors and seniors. You're like, man, I got accepted into three colleges. How do I know which one to go to? Or what career path to take post-college? And listen, I think we should seek God's face on those decisions. But I think what Paul is ultimately after is he's saying, listen, guys, if you will practice these three things that I'm giving you, like, like if you'll just walk with Jesus in these ways, you're naturally going to walk in his will in all these other lesser detailed areas in your life. And so four things that Paul is going to give us that are God's will for our lives. Number one, God's will for your life, according to Paul, is that you would, number one, rejoice always. The second part is what makes it hard. Rejoice always. Now this can be kind of a perplexing command, can't it? Like rejoice always, Paul? Like maybe some of the time, part of the time, half the time, most of the time, always? Like Paul, do you realize how rough my job is right now? Like Paul, do you have any idea how jacked up my home life is? How dysfunctional my relationship is with my parents or my spouse? Like you have, do you have any idea the cycle of addiction that I am trapped in, the sins that I am currently entangled in. Do you know that my bank account is down to $9.37 and my rent is due next Monday? Like have joy always? Are you kidding me? Now, and this, this would be absolutely insane if the type of joy that Paul is talking about here was just kind of this warm, euphoric feeling that we get when all things are going perfectly in our lives, right? One of the rhythms that Cheryl and I, our family, uh, try to practice on an on a, on a annual basis is we, we try to go to the beach for a week, right? So we just, we just try to get away for a week. We turn off the emails. We silence the phones. We lay on the beach. We uh, eat a lot of seafood. We let the kids swim in the pool. We play board games. We watch classic movies at night. We just kind of decompress as a family. It's a rhythm for us. And if you don't do that, I would just encourage you just get away for a few days with, a, with your family or if you're single by yourself or with a good friend, something like that. I look forward to this all year long. Like we're going in a few weeks and our family just every day. It's like, how many more days till we go to the beach? We look forward to it as a family all year long. And almost every single time, at least once during that week, sometimes multiple times during that week, there's at least that one moment where I'm kind of just like sitting on the beach, listening to the waves roll in, reading a good book, maybe holding my wife's hand, maybe a cold beverage in the other hand, and watching my kids play in the surf, and my heart is just, for that moment, overwhelmed with a sense of joy. Like, have you ever had that experience? Just like, man, li life is good. God is good. Everything is right in the world, and those moments are awesome. I so appreciate those moments. That's, I think that's one form of joy, and that's, that's a good form, but then we get in the car at the end of the week, and I drive back home, and I turn my phone back on, and, and, and my phone starts buzzing, and the emails start coming in, and then I got my to-do list of things that I've got to do, and that euphoric feeling of joy that I had while sitting on the beach is just absolutely eviscerated by the feelings of 
hurried stress and to-do list and sermon series to plans and counseling appointments and weddings and funerals and all like all these different things. And so what I think Paul is really saying here is he's, he's really trying to point us to a deeper kind of joy. See, joy can be a feeling, but the deep stuff that Paul is after here, I think he would argue is actually an act of the will. In other words, it's a choice that we get to make every single day of our lives. It's a spiritual discipline to walk in joy regardless of whether you're sitting on the beach with a pina colada in your hand or you're jammed up on I-26 getting flipped off by somebody driving with New Jersey plates. It, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. I had two people from Jersey come up to me after the 915. They were very upset. If you're from New Jersey, I'm sorry. Just stop flipping people off on I-26. It's, it's, learning, it's learning to walk with Jesus, right? So consistently in our lives that joy becomes the natural default for our lives. One commentary writer that I, I read this week put it this way. He wrote, joy is not something that we work on. Joy is something that we live in. Isn't that good? Joy is not something that we work on. Joy is something that we live in. And I want you to know this, brother, sister, friend, if you're here, particularly if you don't know Jesus yet, if you're just kind of on the fence, you're exploring, I want you to know God wants you to have joy in your life. Did you know that? Like, like God wants you to be happy in life. Like, like his design for your life is not for you to be living constantly on edge, just kind of riddled in life with anxiety or down in the dumps. All that. that is not God's design for your life. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus himself in John 15. This will be on the screens for you. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you. So everything that he just, he just taught about before, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, which by the way is full joy and complete joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or your translation may say complete. In other words, what I think Jesus is saying here is joy is possible for you, even on this side of eternity. Joy is a lifestyle choice empowered always by the Spirit of God as we walk closely with Jesus. And I think the next two commands that he gives us kind of clue us in into how we live in joy always. So the second command he gives us is to, to pray without ceasing. Again, the second part of these commands is always the hard part. To pray without ceasing. In other words, he's saying being persistent in prayer. Now, now clearly, I don't think the apostle is saying here that you should uh, drop out of school and quit your job and become a monk and shave your head and move out to a monastery in the middle of nowhere and do nothing but pray for the rest of your life until you die or Jesus comes back. I don't think that's what Paul is after here. What he is after here, I think, is this beautiful idea of being in constant communion with our creator. See, prayer can take different forms. I remember for a long time, kind of growing up as a teenager even, um, I had this view of prayer. Like, prayer was like, man, man I got to get alone in a dark closet for at least an hour. I just got to close the door and just pray uninterrupted and, and no distractions. And I can't let my mind wander because then God's not going to be pleased with me. I just got to be, really be focused on, on God for that period of time. And, and while I do think that those times of concentrated, undistracted, no cell phones buzzing in your pocket, no emails to check, no kids screaming in your ear, I think those times of prayer are crucial. But I think there's another equally important form of prayer and that is simply just to kind of throughout the day, just a consistently open pipeline of communication between you and God. So here's what that maybe would look like for you or for me. You're, you get up first thing in the morning, you're brewing you know, your first pot of coffee, and it's just kind of like, God, thank you. Help, help me walk with you today. 
Like instead of checking Twitter or ESPN, whatever you do first thing in the morning, maybe just use that time as you're waking up, turning on the coffee pot. God, help, help me to walk with you today. You get in a car and you're driving to school, you're driving to work. Lord, Lord, would you open my eyes to the needs around me today? Like I know in school, in, in my office, like there's, there are tons of people that are hurting today. There are tons of people that I'm going to be around, I'm going to interact with that are, that are confused, that are walking through challenges and trials. And God, would you just help me not be so busy that I miss the opportunities all around me? Maybe after, after school, after, after work, you go to the gym and you just, God, help me hate donuts more so I don't have to come here so often, right? That's my prayer usually. Loading the dishwasher at night after dinner. God, God thank you for food to eat. God, there are millions of people on this planet that don't have to clean off their dishes right now because they didn't eat today. So God, thank you for, for the gift of of food, the ability to, to, to clean these dishes off and put them in the dish, just a rhythm throughout the day of communication with God. Now, I started this practice in my own life over a decade ago, and I'm just telling you guys, this revolutionized my prayer life. Like, I, I talk to God all the time now. People, if you just kind of were with me all day, you'd think I was weird, right? But I, I talk to God all the time now. Kind of a, a, a maybe a practical analogy that some of you will relate to is like, for Cheryl and I, like most of you who are married, we're, we're away from each other most of the day, most days, right? And so oftentimes, most days, we just have a, a text message thread open, and she might send me a picture of the kids, like, doing their schoolwork outside. And I just respond, oh, they're so cute, you know? Or she might say, hey, could you pick up some milk and eggs on the way home? I might say, yeah, sure. Or, hey, what if we have a date night tonight? You know, so we just have this co constant sort of flow of communication open. It's not every second of every day. It might be an hour or two between text messages, but we just kind of have this open-ended sense of communication with each other. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is really kind of getting after here. Just have this open line of communication with God all the time. I appreciate the way that Dallas Willard, a, a philosopher who died a few years ago, uh, put it. This will be on the screens for you. Willard writes this, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by a burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. He's saying, as you start this, don't be surprised if it's hard. If you start trying to have this open line of communication with God throughout the day, don't be surprised if that's challenging at first because you have other habits that you have to replace with this habit. He goes on to say, but these are habits, not the law of gravity. These can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon, our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Now, I love that language from Willard there. Practicing the presence of God. Isn't that good? Practicing the presence of God. And I just want to say, if you're here, you're in the room, you're online, you're watching, you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to say to you, y'all, listen, we have to become a people of prayer. We have to become a people of prayer. If we ever, ever even want to come close to experiencing what God wants for us and has for us, we have to learn how to pray like the Apostle Paul is, is pushing us to. 
And as we learn to do that, I think it becomes easier to do the third thing that Paul's going to challenge us with this morning, and that's number three, to give thanks in all circumstances. To be a grateful person. To be a, a person that Thanksgiving just kind of overflows out of you. Man, if there's any group of people on planet Earth whose default setting should be thankfulness, it should be us, church. It should be those of us who are blood-bought, been redeemed, been forgiven, been set apart, been adopted into the family of the king of this universe, called sons and daughters because of what Jesus has done. Now, even this can be a challenge for us because oftentimes our default setting can be grumbling over gratitude, can it not? And listen, I, I, I'm, the, I'm the chief of that parade. Oftentimes, our default setting can be grumbling over gratitude. Man, why is, my, why is my life so hard? And a lot of us don't articulate these things out loud, but we have these running monologues, at least for me, right? We have these running monologues in our head. We have these conversations with ourselves. And why, why is my boss so mean? Why is my teacher so hard on me? How come that really ugly girl in my class gets a boyfriend, but I can't get a boyfriend? No fair, God. How come that dude got a promotion at the workplace? I've been there longer. I work harder. I clock in before. I stay after. How come he got the promotion? We can just be pro-whiners, can't we? Just like profesh at it. But I think what Paul is saying is, what, what if we started living in a place and out of a place of gratitude? Like you just kind of wake up every day, you go to the shower, you kick on the shower, and hot water starts coming out. You're like, hot water. Thank you, God. And if you've ever gone on a mission trip and you've been somewhere, all they got is cold water for showers, you will be really, really, really thankful for hot water. You go and you grab your coffee and grab a banana, you run out the door. God, thank you for the gift of coffee and caffeine. Thank you for food, right? You get in your car. I got a car. Thank you, God. Like, I have a car. There's so many people in the world that don't have a car. Like, I got a car. Thank you, God. You drive to school. Like, I get an education. Or you go to work. You're like, man, I get a paycheck for doing something that I'm pretty good at. This is amazing. Like, a friend calls you or texts you. You're like, I got a friend. That's a real miracle for some of you, more than for others of you, right? You come home at night to your apartment or your house. Man, I got a warm place to sleep tonight. Thank you, God. This is amazing. And so many of us, we have so much to be grateful for, but we live in a place of grumbling over gratitude, and that is not pleasing to the heart of God. So what Paul is saying, listen, brother and sister, begin the practice of thanking God for everything in your life. And listen, even the crummy stuff that you may not like, but God is using to shape you in beautiful ways that you can't even see yet. And Paul is saying, if we begin to practice these three rhythms in our life, rejoicing always, praying constantly, giving thanks in all circumstances, he's saying, listen, guys, I want you to know your life will change. Your life will change if you begin to practice this. And Paul says, I want you to know this is God's will for your life. So instead of like, like searching and scouring around, God, who do you want me to marry? And what house should I buy? What, like, that, oh, that's fine. You should pray about that. But if you focus on these things, you will be walking in the will of God. And that frees us up to live life. Now, Paul has given us some, some to-do things. Like, hey, this is what I want you to do. Now he's going to give us a couple of things that we ought not do as followers of Jesus. So look at verse 19 with me. Paul writes this. He says, 
Do not quench the spirit. That's a big one. We're going to come back to that one. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, holding fast to what is good and abstaining from every form of evil. So Paul's first, hey, hey y'all, don't do this, is, is huge. He says, don't quench the spirit. Now, if you're new to church, if you're a new believer, you're kind of like, man, what is all this spirit talk? Let me, let me just kind of give you the, the short version here. When someone begins their journey with Jesus, right? So they pledge their allegiance to Jesus. They, they give their life to him. They surrender, start trusting him with their lives. The Bible tells us that Jesus sends his spirit to live in them, to live in us. The Holy Spirit seals us for redemption. He also has the task of comforting us when we need comfort. He leads us. He guides us. He convicts us of sin in our lives. The Holy Spirit is really our spiritual life source. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit, let me just pause and say this for a moment, because I I hear Christians say this all the time, and it's just not accurate. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third member of our Trinitarian God, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I pray to the Holy Spirit all the time. He is co-equal in essence. He is fully God with the Father and the Son. He is the gift that Jesus sent when he ascended to the right hand of the Father after the resurrection that we'll celebrate next Sunday. And what Paul is saying is, hey, listen, it is possible for the believer to quench the Spirit's work in their lives. In fact, that word uh, quench in the Greek is, is a picture of like a bottle of water being poured out on a fire, which should be absolutely terrifying to you if you love and follow Jesus, that you could quench the Spirit's work in your life. That terrifies me. Now hear this. This, this doesn't mean that, that if you are a Christian, you can lose the Holy Spirit or that you can lose your salvation of, as some have taught incorrectly over the years. I believe that the Spirit seals us at the moment of our conversion and it keeps us all the way into eternity. But we can, the scriptures are clear, we can grieve the Spirit and we can even quench the Spirit's work in our lives, meaning we can actually diminish our capacity to fellowship with the Spirit and to hear from the Spirit of God. And I think that's one reason that you can kind of end up with a bunch of spiritually crippled Christians in the church. It's because they've, they've really grieved the Spirit of God. They've, they've crippled themselves by quenching the Spirit of God uh, in their life. Now, this typically happens when we ignore, repeatedly ignore a prompting of the Spirit in our lives. So this could be over a sin issue. So like you're doing something that violates a command of God and the Holy Spirit just kind of pricks your conscience and you know, like, man, I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be looking at that. I shouldn't be talking to this person. I shouldn't be doing this thing. And you, the Holy Spirit just kind of convicts you over and over again. And you just keep kind of pushing it off to the side, right? Like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not really hurting anybody. I'll, like, I'll, I'll just deal with this sin later in my life. That voice of conviction can be quenched over time. Or it could be a calling in your life, like God's telling you to go on that short-term mission trip or to take that risk or to invite that neighbor or classmate to Easter with you or to start giving sacrificially, financially into the kingdom of God. And you just keep sloughing it off. I'll do that later, man, when my life is a little more established, when things are going a little bit better, then I'll, then I'll obey that. And that, I think Paul is saying, listen, guys, be careful. That voice can begin to grow dimmer and dimmer in your spirit. That's quenching the spirit. 
Now, that, that's one reason I can tell you that if you're here, you're watching online, you're a Christian who's trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of Jesus. I don't know anything about you, but I can tell you this about you right now. You're miserable right now. You're absolutely miserable because you have this internal war inside of you that's raging and the spirit of God is fighting for your holiness and your sin nature is fighting for the flesh and you're giving in to the flesh. And Paul's just like, guys, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Be sensitive to the spirit. If he convicts you of sin, repent. Turn from it. Don't just embrace it. Turn from it. If you need help, get help, right? That's why we have pastors here and elders and community group leaders and all these brothers and sisters around you. Like, talk to somebody. Get help. But don't just ignore it and think, oh, I'll deal with that sin later in my life. If the Spirit calls you or promises you to, to pray with that cashier at Publix or Ingalls, don't punk out. That's what I usually do. I'm like, oh, man, there's people around. I'm going to feel weird. I'm gonna, it's going to look weird. Don't, don't. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something, listen, just obey. Just obey. Just walk by the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, I'm going to try to summarize everything that Paul just said about the Spirit here with, with this point. This is kind of the fourth way that we walk in the will of God. Number four, I think he's saying, believer, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit's guidance and direction in your life. Do not quench his work in your life. This is crucial. The second thing he says that we should be cautious not to do, and I think, again, it's related to the work of the Spirit, is he says, don't despise prophecies. Don't despise prophecies. Now, we don't have a lot of time to camp out. This could easily be uh, like a three-week sermon series. Um, I wish we had more time, actually, because I'm, I'm fascinated by this, but uh, I'll just give you kind of the three-minute condensed version. There, there are two camps in the, the kind of the Christian theological world around what are called sign gifts in the scripture, right? So things like healing and speaking in tongues and prophecy. And, and some Christians, would, and some of you probably are in this camp, you fall into the camp that's called the cessationist camp. And those are, those are believers, good brothers and sisters. They believe the Bible. They love Jesus. But they would say that the gifts, uh, the sign gifts ceased. That's why they're called cessationists. They ceased with the end of the apostles. So when the last apostles died, those gifts ceased to exist in the church because they just existed so that the, the, the early church could kind of be established. When the last apostles died, then those gifts ceased. There's another camp in the Christian world that would be called around these sign gifts, continuationist. And these are believers who, who, who would believe that the sign gifts are still active today. Now, now, just for the record, so you know where I'm at, I am a, what I, what I would call a careful continuationist. All right, and so, so I, I see, in other words, I see nowhere in scriptures that say that the sign gifts had an expiration date, right? If you, if you found that Bible verse, you need to come let me know because I've looked really hard. I have not been able to find it. In fact, especially as someone who has, has lived all over the world for a huge portion of my life, listen, I'm just telling y'all, I have seen people healed. I, I have seen these miraculous things happen with my own two eyes. I've had people prophesy over me. Some of those experiences were, were helpful and from God. Some of those experiences were not from God and, and not helpful. Just give you kind of two examples, one of each, maybe give you a, a framework. I had a person come up to me one time after I preached and just absolutely lace into me. 
you know, just rained down judgment and curses and prophesied that I was going to destroy the church that I was in over a very biblical point that I preached in the sermon. And I probably spent about 15 seconds talking about it, right? And they, they just, they just, man, I was going to destroy the church. This prophecy very, very clearly, very, from the very start, was not from God. And I dismissed it completely. Why? Because the content of the prophecy contradicted the word of God. And the spirit with which it was delivered was one of like anger and vitriol and hatred. It clearly was not from the spirit of God. So I very easily dismissed that as a false prophecy. This person maybe was being led by a spirit, but I don't think it was the Holy Spirit, right? And this is why Paul says we must test everything, right? So just because somebody comes and says, hey, I have a word from the Lord or I have a prophecy from God, that doesn't mean that we just accept it and say, okay, I guess that's from God. I guess I need to do whatever you say. No, we test everything through the filter of God's word, the scriptures. So let me just give you one kind of overarching point. If you're a note taker, write this down. This will help you in this arena, I think. The spirit of God will never contradict the word of God. The spirit of God will never, ever contradict the word of God. And so if some joker comes up to you and says, hey, I have a prophecy, I have a word from the Lord for you, you are to leave your wife and your kids and move in with your cute coworker. Not from God. False prophecy, false prophet. Because the spirit of God will never contradict the word of God. All right, so, so that was one bad example of, of prophecy that I've experienced. Let me give you a positive example. I had somebody come in here last year, a lady lived in another state, she was just visiting, ask if I was a musician and I immediately thought, did Mike put you up to this? Like, he's going to make fun of me because I sing so horribly. Um, and I said, no, I'm, I'm not a musician. So she just kind of, huh, okay, all right. And so I, I got up here and, and, and I preached. And then I came down and she came and found me um, after the, the sermon. And she said, now I know. And I said, what, what are you talking about? She said, well, when I first came in, I saw you talk. I feel like the Lord gave me like little musical symbols that were coming out of your mouth. And, and now I know, I want you to know that when you preach with passion and precision, it's like a symphony that's pleasing to God and helpful to people. And I just thought, man, my, my heart was encouraged. It was in line with scripture, it didn't contradict scripture, and I received that as an authentic, prophetic word from God. It encouraged my heart. It went right in line with the scriptures. Now, just to be honest with you, to borrow from another person's analogy, when it comes to the sign gifts, I feel like a baby deer walking on ice. I didn't grow up in this culture. Uh, I didn't grow up in churches that taught about this or talked about this. I didn't go to a seminary that taught about this. But I want to be open to this because like Paul just said, we must not despise what we don't fully understand. We, we have to be open to the work of the Spirit in our lives. And yet, while we test everything through the filter of God's Word. Does that make any kind of sense at all to you guys? That's, that's the best I could do in like three or four minutes. So eventually we'll do a whole sermon series on the spiritual gifts. We'll, we'll go deeper, but that's all I got for now. So we've had a list of to-dos from the Apostle Paul, had a couple of don't-dos. Now he's gonna give us this beautiful promise that really is gonna make all of this possible for us. Starting in verse 23. This is what he says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. And here's the key, guys. He will surely do it. Not you will surely do it. He will surely do all of this in you. Everything Paul has said in this letter, if you would kind of rewind over the last 12 weeks, 
All these commands like, man, we gotta love each other in a radical way in the church body. We have to learn how to suffer well, to suffer in joy. We gotta learn how to live in joy. We gotta learn how to pray constantly. We gotta give thanks in all circumstances. We, we gotta worry about not quenching the spirit in our life. Listen, you need to understand that you cannot do all of this in your own strength. Like it is too much, it is way too hard. You will fall flat on your face if you walk out of here and you're like, man, I got that list from Chris, I screenshot it on my phone, I'm just gonna plow through, I'm gonna willpower my way to accomplish all these things in my life. You will fall flat on your face. What Paul is saying is, God is the one who accomplishes this in us. Now, do we have a role to play? Sure, we have a role to play as the Holy Spirit leads us, as the Holy Spirit guides us, convicts us, as the scriptures command us. Our role is to obey, to be sensitive to the word and the spirit. We are to obey, but it is the spirit of God that empowers us to live a transformed life. And I just want you to know, if you try to do this on your own, you will fail spectacularly. You want to know how I know? Because I've done it about a billion times. I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. I got enough discipline. I got enough willpower. I'm going to make this happen in my life. And you're going to end up, just like I did, disappointed, ashamed, ensnared by guilt in your life. I'm just telling you, I've been there too many times to even count. But what Paul is saying is, listen, brother, sister, if you'll, you'll just walk faithfully with Jesus every day, not perfectly, not flawlessly. Man, you're going to screw this up. You're, you're not going to pray constantly some days. You're going to forget to pray at all some days. You're not going to read your Bible every day. You're not going to be sensitive to the Spirit every day. But as we really try to walk faithfully with Jesus and be sensitive to His Spirit, your life will begin to look more and more and more over the years, over the decades, like Jesus Himself. God will do this in you. He is faithful. You can trust him. Philippians 1.6 says this on the screens for you. It says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that leads right into our second and our last point on the screens for you. Believer, what God started in you, he will finish in you. And so rest. Be at peace as you walk with your Savior. Be sensitive, be responsive to the Holy Spirit in your life. We don't have to willpower this thing through. God has promised to do this in us and through us as we walk with him, as we're sensitive to his Spirit. Verse 25, he begins to wrap it up. He says, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And all the single dudes are like, hey, can you unpack that a little bit? Uh, no, we don't have... We, we don't have time right now to unpack that. This, I will say that this is not a license to be creepy with single young ladies, okay? Uh, th this was a cultural greeting, like a handshake or a side hug, all right? This is what this was. So that's kind of the, the same thing. Verse 27, I put you under oath. This is important. Listen to this, guys. I put you under oath. In other words, this is really important. Before the Lord to have this letter, this scripture, part of scripture, read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul's saying, hey, listen, guys, this letter is key. The scriptures are important in the kingdom of Jesus. Make sure that all the brothers and sisters in the towns and cities and, and districts around you have access to these words. 
to the Word of God. Now, one practical outworking that, I, that I'm really excited to share with you this morning is that because of your sacrificial giving in this church family, especially as it relates to our Send Missions Fund, we've been able to partner with Seed Company. Some of you have heard of them. They're a Bible translation project. And uh, they are, listen guys, they are currently right now, they've just started working on translating 1 Thessalonians, the book that we've been in for the last three months, and eventually the entire New Testament for two people groups in South Asia, the Lasho and the Liga, and they have never had scripture in their entire history. This is amazing. We're a part of accomplishing what Paul is saying right here. I want you to watch this short video and then we'll wrap it up. From the beginning of time until the end of time, none will escape instability, strife, fear, and insecurity. And in the midst of a dark and sinful world, we are in desperate need of the truth. The truth that we are loved, that we are redeemed, that we have a God that is true to his promises. The truth that surpasses time, place, and all understanding. Yet, the truth of Scripture isn't available for everyone. There are over one billion people who do not have the full Bible in their heart language. Seed Company is working to change this. Community efforts, local translators, and partnerships with other Bible translation groups around the globe, we are accelerating the spread of Bible translation at a pace set to make church history. But we can't share the truth of Scripture on our own. Join us as we strive to have God's Word available for everyone in our lifetime. This truth must be heard, and it's one we must share. I want you to know that we are a primary partner in getting this letter that we've been studying, 1 Thessalonians, into their native language of two people groups in South Asia, eventually the entire New Testament. Again, these people have never had the scriptures, and I want you to know, you're a part of that. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God good? And so I just want to say, as we wrap up this series, church man, let's press into loving Jesus all the more as we walk out of this place. Let's press into loving one another as brothers and sisters in this family of faith, and then let's take that hope and that light that we have out into Asheville and around the world. Let's pray, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we are, again, so grateful, so blown away at your love for us, that you've given us your word to guide us. You speak to us through these ancient words that are alive and active, and your Holy Spirit activates them in our hearts and our minds because you love us and you want to have a relationship with us, and you invite us to talk back, to have a conversation with you, the creator of this universe who spoke the stars and the universe into existence. You invite us to know you personally. God, that is overwhelming. And you invite us into your mission. 
God, not because you need us. Your word tells us that if we don't cry out in praise, the, the rocks would cry out. You don't need us, but you invite us in because you love us. You're a good father. You love us as your sons and your daughters. And so we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for your spirit. God, would you help us realize that we can't live this on our own. We can't willpower this into existence in our life. We're going to have to learn the ancient rhythms, the spiritual disciplines of walking daily with Jesus, of being sensitive to the calling of your Holy Spirit in our lives. God, would you help us? Because we can't do this on our own. We need you. So would you empower this in our life? for our good, for the good of those who are around us and for your glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name.